I worked at Trader Joe's in Chicago and hated it so much that I hid in the freezer. I started playing guitar at age 14. I moved to Montana in the year 2008 to work for Weber Mandolins, and I played on stage with John Mayer and Zach Brown at the same time. One of those is a lie, and I'm gonna tell you which one in today's show. And you're gonna learn a lot about me because today is the Ask Me Anything episode. You're in for a dandy. Hey, TAC family, welcome to episode 290 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show, a show packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more progress, fulfillment, and joy from your acoustic guitar journey. As per usual, throughout today's episode, I will be keeping you in the loop with some acoustic news you can use, including a songwriting retreat you can attend from the comfort of your own home, an acoustic guitar double whammy that defies any expectations you may have, and much, much more. Plus, you're gonna be seeing a guitar snow from the Mile High City. But first, I'll be answering quite a wide array of questions that you've submitted over the last few episodes of the show. Yes, today is the Ask Me Anything episode, and wow, you guys are really prying. You're really prying to get into my personal life. But uh, we'll go ahead and do that, and of course, I'll be revealing which one of those statements I made at the beginning was a lie. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and dig into uh, the first question. Actually, prior to doing that, I, I have to bring up some news that is high alert, okay? There's a guitar thief on the loose. I saw a post from the folks at Thunder Road Guitars PDX and they had some guitars stolen from their shop. Here's what the post says. Well, folks, this is one of the last things we'd like to be posting about. We were burglarized early yesterday morning. We go to great lengths to keep our building and inventory safe. Clearly, we will have to do some fortifying. They were professionals, and it took them a long time to get in. Once they were in, they were gone in a little over 35 seconds. We filed a police report and contacted a large number of stores in the Pacific Northwest. Here are photos of the six stolen guitars and a list with the description and serial numbers. Most of these are unique and easily identifiable. If you see these pop up anywhere, please contact us directly. Thank you for your help and support. I really hope that this stops happening to our community. But in the end, we're just glad no one was hurt. It could have been a lot worse. And the stolen guitars, I'm just gonna go ahead and list the models as you see the pictures flash across the screen. For more details, please check out Thunder, well, let me see, Thunder Road Guitars PDX on Instagram. Uh, the, full, the full list is there with serial numbers in case you happen to know anything or see any of these guitars floating around. There was a 2006 Gretsch Custom Shop White Falcon, master built by Steven Stern, a 2021 Gretsch Custom Shop Flamed Maple Faded Cherry Sunburst, also built by Steven Stern, a new Fender Player Stratocaster in black, a new Fender Player's Telecaster in butterscotch, a 1955 Gibson Les Paul Jr. with a Floyd Rose and EMG humbucker. And note, this was one of their personal favorite guitars on display. And a new 2022 Gretsch Custom Shop Master Built 54 Roundup Orange Knotty Pine. Again, if you know anything about those guitars, please reach out to the folks at Thunder Road Guitars PDX. Okay, now on to the Ask Me Anything episode. First question comes from Lafayette LeSaint. Do you read fantasy? If so, who are your favorite authors? I don't read fantasy. Um, I've never been able to get into fiction. Uh, I've tried, actually there's been a couple standout books, uh, the, the one being The Shining by Stephen King. That was my re most recent foray into fiction and I love it purely based on the horror movies that I love. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm very much uh, a sucker for nonfiction. I love musician biographies. I love historical uh, musical books, so. Sorry for you fantasy folks, I'm not, uh, I'm not into it. I just can't get into it. It's not that I don't admire it, it's just that it just doesn't grab my brain the way some other things do. Next question comes from Justin Faust. <laughs> Speaking of horror movies, what are your five favorite horror movies? I saw you wear a House of a Thousand Corpses shirt and am intrigued. Horror movies and acoustic guitar are my life. Five favorite horror movies. This is a tough one, but I'm gonna do my best. I did no research on any of these questions. No, no premeditation. So this is all gonna be off the cuff. Should be a wild ride this episode. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is certainly on my list. Uh, Sleepaway Camp is another of my faves. Um, Army of Darkness, definitely a fave. The Shining, big, big favorite there. And then I would have to say, oh, 
there's so many to pick from. I would say Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Uh, it's tough to pick two movies, Army of Darkness and Evil Dead, from the same franchise, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm actually going to see um, Evil Dead Rise here in a couple of days, and that may very well enter the list. But for now, those are the five. Uh, thanks for the question, Justin. The next question comes from Jason Miller. He asks this. If a guitar is offered both with and without electronics, will they sound differently when played unplugged? Have you played the newest Fender Paramount guitars? If so, what's your take? Were you heartbroken broken by the Patrick Kane trade? Quite a few questions wrapped up in here. First and foremost, uh, guitar offered with electronics and without, how do they sound acoustically? There might be a minute difference. I'm sure guitar forums across the internet will argue this until the end of time, but I don't hear a difference. I really don't, and um, I don't think at least personally, I don't base purchases on that. A lot of the guitars that I choose don't have a pickup, but I end up putting one in because I like to play them live. I have not played any of the newest Fender Paramount guitars, although I'd love to get my hands on one. And as far as the Patrick Kane trade, you know, yeah, I was sad selfishly as a Hawks fan because I love watching him play, but to see him go on and potentially make a run for the Stanley Cup is pretty darn awesome because he's offered so much to the city of Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks. And um, yeah, yeah, sad to see him go, but happy for him ultimately because he's still playing and he's still in contention for a Stanley Cup, at least at the time of this filming. And I assume that the Rangers are going to beat the Devils, but... You know what they say about assuming things. Uh, next question comes from Matthew Lee, and this is a great one. Um, really more of a request, but I'm happy to fulfill it. Would you give me and my wife a happy anniversary on the 9th? It's our 20th anniversary on the 9th of May, 20 years, and we haven't killed each other yet. Uh, happy anniversary to Mr. and Mrs. Matthew Lee. 20 years is a heck of a run. Uh, hopefully, uh, not hopefully, here's to 20 more. How about that? Here's to 20 more. Here's to 20 more. Okay, next, uh, next question comes from Scott Bagley. Hi, Tony. My question has to do with my practice routine. At least I think it does. When I set a goal to learn a riff or a song or a technique such as slide guitar, I tend to dive into it 100% and do nothing but that one riff, song, or technique for about a month or so. The problem is when I stop concentrating on that one thing, it seems I've forgotten lots of other things that I used to know. So how do I get new techniques down while not losing what I already was pretty good at? Thanks for what you do, Tony. Well, thank you for your question, Scott. This is a tough one because I think at one point or another, we all fall into this, this trap. It's not really a trap, more of a pitfall, where we're working on something so diligently that our focus is just so singular, we other things start to drop off. We, we tend to forget some other things. And my best piece of advice here is to uh, a, understand that that may happen because of your intense focus and that a little brushing up on those other things will usually bring them back up to speed where they were. Or two, given the new technique that you're working on, try to incorporate it into the things that you already know. For example, slide guitar. If you're working on uh, learning how to play slide guitar, um, and you're afraid you might lose some of the songs that you know, um, try and incorporate some slide guitar into those songs that you know. This way it's kind of a, a two-for-one special. Just a little bit of insight on that. I, I hope it certainly helps. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's so funny because I have that um, very um, uh, much a, a blinder approach where if I'm learning something new, I am full Full on. Uh, so again, hopefully that helps you, Scott, and, and the other guitar geeks watching the show. Uh, next question, Barry Broadway says this, I've had the good fortune to watch each and every episode of the Acoustic Tuesday show. Where did the other two guys go, Noah and Levi? What happened to all the bourbon? It vanished. I have seen your tattoos multiply over the years as well. Barry, um, first of all, Happy 290 episode to you. Happy 290th episode to you. Uh, to watch all of those and go through the entire journey is pretty awesome. So thank you so much, Barry, for, uh, for sticking with us for the entire ride. Uh, as for Noah and Levi, uh, Noah, who worked here at Tony's Acoustic Challenge, Acoustic Life, uh, he worked here for about two years. He's a very good friend of mine. He actually um, married Whitney and I. Uh, not, no, that sounds weird. He officiated our wedding. <laughs> 
were not a thruple. Uh, he officiated our wedding, so he's a very good friend of mine, a very good friend of Levi's as well. But he actually moved from Montana, uh, and I believe he's somewhere in the Midwest now. Is Ohio the Midwest? Maybe it's east. I don't know. It's like on the border, right? So he, I believe, is in Ohio at the moment. Uh, Levi is still very much here. Uh, Levi is very much a part of Tony's Acoustic Challenge and uh, the Acoustic Tuesday show with me. Uh, he is a co-founder of, of uh, Tony's Acoustic Challenge. Uh, Levi and I live about three miles away from one another, and I see him on nearly a daily basis. And if not, we certainly communicate uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, they are still around, and... Um, just happy that those folks are in my life, were in my life, are in my life, uh, whether they are here or not. Uh, the next, was there another question in there? Did I miss one? Hmm, let me see. No, the tattoos, yeah, the tattoos are gonna continue to multiply. Uh, I love it, I love art. Um, there's a great tattoo shop that um, a lot of my friends are at here in town, Ether Tattoo Club. They're actually in Four Corners and uh, I just absolutely love those guys. They're like family to me. Uh, shout out to John Warren, uh, uh, Stephanie, Olivia, um, Nikki behind the desk, uh, Ryan, Angela, um, Quinn when he's there. I'm trying to think of the others. I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, just a great bunch of people that I consider family, really more than friends. Uh, next question. Ralph Rounds asks this, are you still swinging a golf club these days? I find that golf and guitar are mutually beneficial. When my golf swing is off, I go and play guitar, concentrating on rhythm and tempo. When my guitar playing is off, I go to the range and swing a golf club, concentrating on my rhythm and tempo. Uh, I've never been a big golf guy, to be honest. Um, I know it's funny because people always associate hockey with golf, but I've just never crossed that threshold. I've gone to the driving range, smacked some golf balls around with zero accuracy, uh, but it's always a fun time. But I'm not a big golfer, but in terms of my guitar relief, when I'm struggling with guitar, usually I go work out. I go for a run, I go to the, the gym in my garage and uh, throw some weights around and usually that kind of resets me, or I at least go for a walk through the neighborhood with my son or with my dog or with my wife. Um, Let's see, next question. Greg LeBlanc asks this. Love to see Acoustic Tuesday, and I, and I also feel like I'm making progress with tech. Have you always been into blues and bluegrass? If not, when did it start for you? Have you ever been into other genres of music? Absolutely, and this is actually a great, a great uh, time to dig into those four truths and a lie. Um, so let me see, first question here. Have I always been into blues and bluegrass? No, uh, asterisk. Um, let's see, when did that start for me? I think... As far as bluegrass goes, I think I was about 19, 19 or 20. I was living in Chicago. I just started working at the Old Town School of Folk Music. I knew nothing about folk music, nothing, zero, zilch, nada, because prior to that, I was into heavy metal and death metal, uh, and still am. I still love heavy metal, still love death metal. Um, but yeah, really interesting segue there. I went from that to getting an essential Earl Scruggs CD and just wearing it out. When I heard the banjo, when I heard the whole bluegrass ensemble, I was hooked immediately, immediately. As far as the blues, uh, that was, I would say, a little bit earlier, uh, and I would, I would really blame my Uncle Paul and my dad for that, uh, exposing me to Muddy Waters and Johnny Winter. Um, my Uncle Paul exposing me to Muddy Waters, my dad exposing me to Johnny Winter. And uh, it's funny, before I was filming this, I was just listening to Edgar Winter's uh, Roadwork album, where Johnny Winter guested towards the end. I believe it's on side D. Him and Rick Derringer were just going bananas, guitar pyrotechnics. But uh, yeah, uh, so as far as other genres of music, yeah, I am, I am pretty much an open book, but I still do love death metal. I still do love heavy metal, oftentimes still go to shows with Whitney. Thank goodness she likes uh, heavy metal as well, and my son Aiden. Um, but yeah, the blues and bluegrass are, I would say in the whole scope of things, relatively new to me. They're my most uh, recent discoveries. Uh, next question. Actually, before I do that, let's go back up to the, um, let's go back up to the four truths and a lie. Let's see. I, were, I did, I did work at Trader Joe's in Chicago, um, and I did hide in the freezer because I hated it so much. Um, yeah, just not my jam to work at a grocery store. And uh, my, um, uh, luckily for me, the, the job I got after Trader Joe's was at the Old Town School of Folk Music. So sorry, Trader Joe's, it just wasn't a good fit. And I may as well dig into the, into the other one here. Uh, I did move to Montana in the year 2008 to work at Weber Mandolins. Uh, one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, although 
I was a very crummy salesperson. I got hired there to, um, to work, <laughs> to do sales, and I just was not a good salesperson. Because I was talking to dealers, um, and talking to dealers is a, different, is, is a different subset of language, worrying about profit and discounts and that, and I just wanted to talk about the instruments. Uh, so yeah, that's a, a great, great question there, and um, rather, I'm sorry, it was a good, um, good little delve into my personal world, how I actually ended up getting to Montana. So we still have the, the other one. I started playing guitar at 14, and I played with John Mayer and Zach Brown at the same time. Um, we'll get to those here in a little bit. There was another question I didn't answer uh, from Barry, talking about Noah and Levi, and he said, hey, what happened to all the bourbon? It vanished. Uh, yeah, it did. Um, I've actually... I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, hence the Ask Me Anything episode. It's a good time to share. I've actually been sober for about three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah, been sober for about three and a half years. So I don't do bourbon on the show anymore. I don't do bourbon at all anymore. Uh, love the taste, uh, but unfortunately for me, um, I don't have an off switch. So yeah, been sober for about three and a half years and uh, really, really digging it. Really digging it. Um, yeah, no, no, no other details there, really. Uh, let's see. Um, da, da, da. Oh, here we go. Randall Hacker asks the next question. Hey, Tony, trying to do Rezo Blues again. Can you point me to some good resources to start learning to play in open tunings with Slide? I like the sound of open E, but I'm having difficulty finding my way to the crossroads. So far, I'm just sliding to the four and five chord. Do all open tunings share the same chord and scale locations slash shapes? Do I need to just bite the bullet and pay for lessons? Thanks for any help you can shoot my way. Also, thanks for the continued Tuesday ritual. I've been jamming on my recording king, Dirty 30's single O. Uh, wow, there are some great resources out there. Uh, I'm gonna say there's two that I will just right off the top of my head, uh, Tom Feldman, playcountryblues.com. While this isn't necessarily a step-by-step how-to-play-slide-guitar approach, he has a lot of slide guitar lessons. And actually, now that I think about it, I have seen some you know, slide guitar 101 type things. So that would be something to check out. Again, that's Tom Feldman. He's based in Minnesota, and his website is playcountryblues.com, one of my favorite instructional websites out there. Uh, and then, of course, I should mention Tony's Acoustic Challenge. Uh, while we don't have a, a ton of slide lessons, we do have a course on Slide Guitar 101 taught by Tony Furtado, who's a hell of a slide guitar player. And then I'll, I'll mention another one, uh, Dylan Adams. A recent discovery by me via Mule Guitars, uh, Dylan Adams, find him on Instagram, find him on YouTube, is, uh, wow, if you like Almond Brothers, if you like um, uh, any of that, uh, dare I say Southern rock, uh, I'll, put, I'll put Derek Trucks in the mix too. Uh, Dylan is a fantastic player and uh, well worth checking out. I believe he has some, some great instructional videos on YouTube. So another thing to check out. Uh, in terms of open tunings, they all share similar traits. Uh, the scale shapes may vary, but generally speaking, open tunings, open major tunings, open G, open D, open E, they do share the same one, four, five chord positions, which is pretty awesome. And they usually, those three tunings specifically, will share similarities in terms of their traits, i.e., you're tuning your guitar to a chord. So you'll have the first degree, the third degree, and the fifth degree all on a single string. And that'll actually help you start to decode other tunings and also find commonalities between them. So uh, hopefully that helps and um, good luck on your slide journey. That's pretty darn awesome. Got a few questions here. Um, let's see, I'll go through a few more and then we'll do another uh, round of the, the, I've only got two truths and a lie. I guess one truth and one lie left. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, David Williams asked, Tony, do you listen to music on vinyl? Can you tell us about your stereo setup? I do. I have an obnoxiously large record collection to the tune of probably at this point 4,500 records. That's really not an exaggeration. I am an absolute record hog. Um, in terms of what I listen to them on, it's nothing crazy fancy. I have an Orbit turntable, which I believe that company is located in Boston, and I uh, run that through um, a Pluto preamp, which is made by the Orbit company, and that goes to uh, uh, two sets, uh, rather a single set of Pioneer speakers. I can't remember the model, DJ something. They're small. I think the, the, the 
the cones are like five inch cones. But uh, nothing crazy fancy, but I love, there's nothing to me that beats dropping the needle on a record and just sitting back and listening to it. In fact, I mentioned I was listening to, um, or maybe I didn't mention it. If I didn't, I'm going to do it right now. I was listening to Edgar Winner's Roadwork, Edgar Winner and White Trash, the Roadwork album on vinyl, just, just prior to uh, hitting the record button here. So, yes, I absolutely love vinyl. It's the best experience in the world. Next question, Rich Johnson asks, How hard did you cry during Taves' last game? How sad was it to see Kaner go? Excited for the future of the boys, especially since the AMA episode is a day after the lottery picks. Number one would be nice, but top five is solid this year. What? Bannerman isn't your favorite goalie? Crow? Oh, man. Eddie the Eagle? Uh, a lot of Blackhawk stuff in here. So for you hockey fans, or for rather for you folks that aren't hockey fans, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take a detour. But that's what this episode is about, right? Going off the rails. Um, seeing Jonathan Taves play his last game was really bittersweet because I was happy he was able to play in a last game uh, under his own terms. He's been battling a lot of health uh, issues, injury issues. So to see him actually go play a game, get a goal in his last game, uh, was pretty darn awesome, but definitely the end of an era for uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, how sad was it to see Kaner go? I, I addressed that one already. I'm happy for him, but selfishly, I wish he was here still. Here, meaning at the Chicago Blackhawks, on the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, excited for the future, indeed. Um, I am filming this episode prior to the uh, draft lottery, so I don't know the results yet, but top five is good, I agree. Um, you know what? It's funny you, you brought up Bannerman not being my favorite goalie, but one of my favorite Pat Foley play-by-play uh, 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 -play calls is when he's like, Bannerman! <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's another Chicago Blackhawks insider thing there. But my favorite goalie is Ed Belfour, um, probably followed very closely by Corey Crawford. Um, yeah, two dandies there. Uh, absolutely love Ed Belfour. He is my absolute favorite of all time. In fact, if I can find a picture, I'll go ahead and throw it on the screen. Uh, I had the Ed Belfour Cooper street hockey goalie equipment. Um, yeah, I thought I was a little Ed Belfour. But when I got scored on repeatedly, I very quickly realized I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> next question comes from Scoggers. Tony, has your long hair or beard ever accidentally played a natural harmonic while you've been playing the guitar? Uh, no, it hasn't, but it has gotten in the way before. I've actually been playing a gig seated down and kind of into it. The guitar, you know, kind of hunching a little bit. Not what you're supposed to do, but I was into it. And my beard was actually muting the strings, and I'm like playing, like, what the heck is going on? And I look down, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Uh, so I guess, yes, it has. Not, not a natural harmonic, but it has gotten in the way. Paul Hudson asks... If you find an older instrument that sounds good and is otherwise in good condition, is checking of the finish a good reason to avoid making a purchase? If you go for it, is there any special treatment one should do to preserve the instrument's quality? Thanks for all you do. Tony, all my best to the TAC family. Um, no, if the, if the finish is checked on an old instrument, but it has structural integrity, that is no reason to not purchase said instrument. Finish checking is just... Uh, the reality of a nitrocellulose, nitro, blah, 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 a nitrocellulose lacquer finish. It will check because the finish does harden, but the wood still moves and fluctuates depending on temperature and humidity. So if you have something that's constricting on top of something that moves, it will crack. It will check or alligator. You know, there's a lot of different terms for it. Uh, but that is no, no reason for alarm. It's just kind of the natural process of an aging instrument. However, in terms of special treatment for said instrument that has checking of a nitrocellulose lacquer finish, what I would steer clear from is using any polish on it. And I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. Um, any polish that you put on a guitar that has checking in the finish, that polish can actually get in between those little minute cracks and cause some maybe odd discoloration because ultimately it's gonna sink down into the wood. I don't think it would be a make it or break it deal, but that's something that I steer clear from. So in that case, I just use a dry microfiber cloth and very gently um, you know, rub off any smudges or anything like that. But uh, that's really the only consideration I would say uh, in terms of an instrument with um, with checking of the finish. Uh, another question from Paul, he says, does the ease of producing overtones tell you how tell you much about the quality of the guitar? If so, how reliable is it? You'd think, oh, the more overtones, the better, the more quality of a guitar. 
Not necessarily. Uh, you can have a very quality guitar that is limited in overtones. And I actually, uh, for bluegrass or like say, you know, straight ahead blues or ragtime finger style guitar playing, I favor a guitar that is fundamentally focused with less overtones. Whereas if I'm playing some of my original pieces with alternate tunings, I favor a guitar that has a bunch of overtones. Um, so I would say if anything, overtones indicate quite possibly how resonant or responsive the guitar is, but by no means is amount of overtones or presence of overtones related to how good or not good the guitar is. It's just think of it as, as two different flavors, really. Uh, John Washburn asks, Tony, I appreciate you sharing your collection of fine and beautiful guitars, but how do you keep them happy and awake? I have about a dozen acoustic guitars and I typically, typically, whoa, typically play about two or three daily, at least today. Two are very regular and I try to work in at least one additional. Some may get totally ignored for a few weeks now and then. I cannot imagine trying to keep several dozen guitars happy and then changing all of those strings. Take care and play on. John, uh, this is a great question and one that I'm actually pretty conscious of in terms of the guitars in my collection. Uh, I do favor guitars for certain styles. As you've likely seen over the last a couple episodes where I've uh, shared some of my guitar arsenal with you all. Um, I favor uh, certain guitars for certain styles of play, certain songs, etc. But in terms of keeping them happy and awake, one of the things that helps me is just rotating through them on a weekly basis. I mean, I, I do have a specific advantage in that, you know, if you want to call my day-to-day -day work, it's hard for me to call it work because I just enjoy it and I would be doing all of this, whether or not it was my work or not. Um, uh, I do play guitar five, six, oftentimes seven days a week, depending on my life and its craziness. So that gives me ample opportunity to rotate through the guitars. I film lessons with all different guitars, so that helps. But also, uh, when I'm home, all of my guitars are in my home guitar room studio and they're hanging on the wall. Of course, it's properly humidified. Don't worry, everybody. Um, so just by being in the presence of those, those guitars and playing them, um, they're kind of, I can hear them resonating on the wall. So they're all very much awake and, uh, yes, changing strings is no small task, but I just take it one guitar at a time. Can't do them all in a day. It would take me forever. Um, so hopefully that, hopefully that helps. Uh, next question actually comes from a, a Tony's Acoustic Challenge lesson. It comes from a daily challenge. Uh, and Topher asks this. I'm very excited about this challenge in the week ahead. He's referring to the BB King focused week that we uh, just completed in Tony's Acoustic Challenge. Loving the deep dive you're taking us on with the blues style. Please don't stop. More weeks of blues lessons, please. You are in for a treat. Side note. Uh, here's the question. I know this is an acoustic channel, but curious about your electric guitar arsenal. What do you have in your armory? If you only had one electric guitar to play the blues on for the rest of your life, which guitar would you choose? And finally, any chance of taking a look at Rory Gallagher's work for a challenge week? Thanks for being awesome, Tony, and hello to everyone here on TAC. Uh, I do have an electric guitar arsenal. Um, it's mildly obnoxious. Compared to the acoustic guitar, uh, acoustic guitar snow, it's just a drop in the hat. But um, in terms of what I have in my electric guitar snow, I've got a Fender Jazzmaster, Fender Jaguar, both American vintage reissues. I've got a custom shop uh, 55 Tele, a custom shop, I think 60s Strat. I've got um, a Les Paul Studio, uh, real basic SG with P90s. Uh, from the Faded series a long ago. Um, not necessarily an expensive guitar at all. But the two prized electric guitars, I got a Mule Caster. Uh, now that I'm talking about it, it is kind of obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> but the two most recent ones that actually lead to the, the final question you asked here. You know, I have always kind of scoffed at artist series guitars. And I was actually getting ready to leave to go play hockey. And I, for whatever reason, checked reverb, and I'm not even sure why. Something was calling to me, I guess. And on reverb, in my little feed, came up a custom shop Muddy Waters tribute, Telecaster. Now, I had never heard of this guitar, okay? And to the best of my knowledge and my research, it was produced in the year 2000. I feel like that's a, isn't that a Conan O'Brien thing? In the year 2000? Anyway. Um... <laughs> In the year 2000, they made 100 tribute 
Muddy Waters Telecasters from the Custom Shop, okay? This is not to be confused with the standard artist series, uh, the Muddy Waters Tele, which was made in Mexico. Uh, I believe they don't make those either um, anymore. But anyways, this Custom Shop Muddy Waters Telecaster tribute came up. Number 86 of 100. It's actually ironically for sale in uh, Illinois. And I didn't even think twice about it. I just bought it. I just bought it. Uh, because I had never seen one before, and I've always, always, always lusted after uh, a Muddy Waters Telly because he was, again, as I mentioned, one of my original guitar heroes, uh, Muddy Waters and Johnny Winter. So I get this guitar, and it is awesome. So if I was to pick one guitar, one electric guitar to play blues on for the rest of my life, it'd probably be the Muddy Waters Telly. But this brings me to the final guitar in my electric guitar arsenal, and it is another artist model. It's the Johnny Winter uh, 64 Polaris White Firebird that Gibson just released last year, early last year. Um, 125 made. I think I got number 90-something. And I just, I, I kept researching this guitar and seeing the used market, seeing the new market fluctuate. And I just thought to myself, well, if I got the Muddy Waters, I should get the Johnny Winter, and then I'll have this dynamic duo. So there you go. Long story long, right? Um love those guitars. Talk about, I was talking to my dad about these guitars and I was like, you know, ironically, these guitars are making me feel like a kid again, getting into guitar for the first time. No, and I'll, I'll uh, disclaimer, when you buy an artist model, whether it's a limited run or an open run, it, it will not make you play like the artist, okay? <laughs> From firsthand experience, somehow, somehow this guitar didn't come with Johnny Winter's chops and the Muddy Waters uh, Telecaster didn't come with his chops either. I know, I was a little bummed. But um, in terms of tone and feel and just looking at it, it just conjures up something for me. It's an X factor. So, you know, I, I think both of these artist models are overpriced. I do. But I fell for it hook, line, and sinker, and I'm really happy I did because the inspiration is there. And it's just, it's got me so excited about electric guitar. Um, don't get any crazy ideas. There's, there's not going to be a Tony's electric guitar challenge. I'm primarily an acoustic player, but just wanted to share that with you. And before I wrap up this Ask Me Anything segment, there were two statements I made at the beginning of the show that we have to discern are, uh, while they're either true or a lie. Um, I did not start playing guitar at age 14. I actually started playing guitar at age 18 after my hockey dreams were uh, quickly... I was turning the page on reality and realizing, you know, I wasn't going to play in the NHL. So I have to figure out something. So I had a six-month period of me being like, what do I do? My identity is a hockey player. I found the guitar at age 18. So that was a lie. I did not start the guitar at age 14. I started at age 18, meaning I did play on stage with John Mayer and Zach Brown at the same time. I was in a local band here at uh, uh, here in Montana called Little Jane and the Pistol Whips. And this was around, I think it was around my 30th birthday, somewhere in there. Uh, there was a fire over in Paradise Valley. So just about, I would say, 30 miles due east of Bozeman on the way to National uh, Yellowstone National Park. Um, there was a fire that impacted uh, some of the smaller towns. One of my favorite places to play music, Pine Creek Lodge, down in uh, Immigrant, Montana. I say emigrant because it's a very small town. Anyways, um, so John Mayer threw on a benefit for the fire department and the surrounding areas. And this benefit was held at the Emerson Cultural Center here in Bozeman. And John actually asked Little Jane and the Pistol Whips to be a part of it. And Zach Brown was a part of it as well. And this is right when John, I don't know if you all remember this, but John had released his Born and Raised album and he was actually going to tour that album, but he had some vocal issues. So this was one of his first shows back. And um, man, what an experience. Holy cow. Okay, so, so John actually came out and joined uh, Little Jane and the Pistol Whips for a song.
played electric guitar and he played like a uh, 52 hot rod telly uh, with a mini humbucker on it. I still remember this, very cool. I had much shorter hair at the time. And then there was an encore and they played, um, I can't even remember the song. It was a song by the band. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, it was Zach Brown and John Mayer. And I remember plugging in my Dobro and standing next to Zach Brown. And he looked over at my Dobro and he said, oh, beard. I've got one of those beard guitars too. And I didn't even know what to say. I was like, cool. <laughs> Anyways, a great moment and uh, definitely not a lie. Definitely not a lie. That was, that was the truth. Uh, so I just want to take a second and thank you for your questions. Uh, there were so many more than what I had answered uh, here in today's episode, which makes me think we should probably do this again. I've got a stockpile of questions, but um, if you have any more questions ever, in any future Acoustic Tuesday episode that may not have to do with guitar, go ahead and ask Go ahead and ask them in the comments below. Just still put that AMA. This might be something that we sprinkle in um, the normal show format. We'll see, we'll see how many questions y'all have. But again, thank you so much for uh, participating. What a fun little um, detour. Really fun to um, answer those questions and think about some of those questions. Uh, now for your first dose of acoustic news you can use. And of course, I have to make my Fretboard Summit announcement August 24th through the 26th in Chicago at the Old Town School of Folk Music. The Fretboard Summit will be held. He wow, Tone, speak English. Um, the Fretboard Summit will be held at the Old Town School of Chicago. <laughs> Let's take a breath. The Fretboard Summit will be held August 24th through the 26th at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. I strongly recommend you go. It's $350 for a three-day pass. You get access to uh, the Luthier Showcase. You get access to the daily workshops. You get access to the nightly entertainment. And you get access to a group of guitar geeks that are just, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. You're surrounding yourself with people that have the same interests as you. And to be honest, it's it's a great place to just connect and meet folks, like-minded folks. And um, I think a lot of lifelong friendships were made at this last one. And I continue to uh, look forward to this next one, which is why I keep mentioning it. Uh, so make sure to put that on your calendar. And if you're thinking about going, maybe less thinking, more action, because those three-day passes are limited to 250. So that being the case, uh, maybe hop on it, hop on it, book your flight, book your Airbnb or hotel, what have you. Uh, okay, first up on, uh, well, not first up, second up on your acoustic news you can use is uh, an Instagram channel that I find fascinating. It's actually a store, True Vintage Guitar. Um, he finds these collector grade vintage guitars in some of the coolest ways possible. Case in point, this one I'm about to show you, it's a 1965 Fender Jazzmaster, and it has just one hell of a story. I believe this guitar has sold, but you gotta hear the story anyway, anyway and you've gotta follow him on Instagram. Check out his website. Um, it's so cool, it's so cool. The stories that are associated with these guitars, a lot of times these are single owner vintage guitars. So these are very special and each one has a tale to tell, much like this one. So here's that 1965 Fender Jazzmaster with one hell of a story. Can you imagine finding this in a house while you're cleaning out a bunch of junk? That actually happened. Hey, it's John, my shop's called True Vintage Guitar and I sell vintage collectible guitars online. This is a 1965 Fender Jazzmaster in original candy apple red metallic finish with matching headstock. And it just sold, but I wanted to tell you guys the story about how I found it. I received a call from the young guy who was looking to sell this guitar and I asked him how he got it. He said that uh, he was tasked with cleaning out the house of a, a former hoarder who had moved out and um, he was gonna be paid an hourly wage. Plus he, get, he got to keep whatever he found in the house. And can you believe it? This 1965 Fender Jazzmaster was in there. It's pretty clean now after I got finished with it, but when it came in, I mean, the frets and neck were so dirty with just oxidation. You could tell that the original case had not been opened for a very long time. And so it just needed typical cleaning and setup, replace the foam underneath the pickup so we can level out the pickup height. And uh, now it's a fantastic playing example. Uh, it's just sold, so it's heading out now, but uh, I will miss this one dearly. Great guitar. I have to remind myself to mix in a water every now and again because I drink so much coffee, my brain starts to fire up faster than my, my mouth can. So my, my words get jumbled, it's a wreck. So I'm gonna take a breath and we're gonna get through this acoustic news you can use, okay? There's a couple really funny things coming up that I want you to see. Uh, this next one is, 
is from Calton Cases. You know, Calton makes custom flight cases. And in my opinion, they're the best in the business. I, I have never experienced a better flight case than a Calton case, especially uh, the newly revamped ones. Wow, uh, just built like a tank and they can take a beating. But these cases are custom fit to your instrument. I remember getting one for my Bourgeois OMSC, a 12 fret cutaway, and I had to trace the guitar so they could custom make the, the case so it fits the guitar. Um, and when I saw this post, I was like, I have to share this with you because they have a wall of instrument templates. And when I say wall, these are on coat hangers and they're the width of probably, I don't know, a hefty piece of cardboard or something along those lines. And there are dozens, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of templates. So to know that that much care goes into crafting a case that fits your instrument like a glove, it's pretty darn awesome. So I wanted to uh, share that with you. Next up is an awesome one, talking about the blues, talking about muddy waters. Um, this is from mojohand.com. Great, uh, this is a website done uh, run by Art Grego. Gre no, sorry, not Art Grego. Grego Anderson, who makes art, uh, great folk blues art. So check that out, mojohand.com. But he posted this, this picture that says, you may be cool, but you'll never be Otis Spann holding an alligator while Muddy eats breakfast cool. Um, I don't know what else to say about that. Pretty much speaks for itself. It's pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> just, you gotta know, you know, it's like you wanna know the story behind that, right? You wanna know that story. I'm sure there's some uh, interesting stories throughout both of their careers. But um, next up, finally, on this first dose of acoustic news you can use. This is just too cool. This is from Dust to Digital, a great Instagram channel. If you're not following them, please do. They feature this weird, weird isn't really a, an accurate description, off the wall, interesting, eccentric music making. Really great stuff. Sorry, bobblehead tone. Um, and I saw this video of two twins. I gotta make sure I, I get this right. Twin brothers performing Wildwood Flower on each other's guitar at the same time. It's just, it's just too cool, and uh, you have to see it. So, so here they are. Now it's time to grab your guitar. Don't worry about playing your neighbor's guitar. Don't worry about playing another guitar at the same time. It's just you and your guitar. We're gonna have a look and see what the TAC family is working on today. Every week within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family rotates through the five essential skills that help you learn any song and learn any song fast. You know, a lot of common songs share a lot of common chord progressions, a lot of common chord transitions, a lot of common techniques. So if you focus on these skills, then all of a sudden, when you go to learn a new song, you think, I have all those tools in my toolbox already. I'm just gonna apply them to this new song. And you learn it that much faster. On Mondays, the TAC family works on a technique challenge. Tuesdays, a guitar lick challenge. Wednesdays, an improvisation challenge. Thursdays, a rhythm guitar challenge. And Fridays, a chord transition challenge. Yes, today is Tuesday. The TAC family is working on a guitar lick. And here it is. Your Tuesday Tack Guitar Lick Challenge is named Color Swatch because it's inspired by the Rolling Stones song, Paint It Black. They use a specific technique while playing the main motif of this song that I absolutely love that will open up a gateway of creativity for you. Let me go ahead and play this and then I'll show you how to use this. Really more for, as I mentioned, a creative outlet than anything. And if you've always wanted to play a guitar solo, but you weren't sure where to start or how to do it, today is the day for you because this lick opens up that very door. Let me go ahead and play it for you and then we'll break it down. Here's how it sounds. It's just a moody lick and you can already kind of hear the paint it black isms there. And it's yes, because of the notes I'm choosing, but also because of the style, okay? I'm gonna dig into this here in a moment, but first TAC family, uh, please log in. This is your daily challenge. You can learn this note for note. Go ahead and click start. That'll take you to the teaching video. Once you get there and get it under your fingers, move to the play along video. Take it at a speed that's comfortable for you. And don't forget to open up that tab by clicking on the icon in the lower right hand corner. Okay, so 
This lick, where would you use it? I'm showing you this lick more as an option in a buffet for you, okay? Can you place this in a musical setting? Certainly, but I really want you to look at it as a standalone piece of music because this is something that you can do right now even if you've never played a guitar solo before because this allows you to explore the guitar. What I'm doing is I'm playing the open D string, sorry, the open D string against fretted notes. Right, and what that's allowing me to do is create this wonderful pillow of uh, rhythmic stability. Wow, how's that for a term? Um, what, it, what it's doing is it's giving you this full sound. And since you're doing that, it allows you to play single notes against it. Whoops. and you're playing those on the upbeat. It's a really fun thing to try and it's something that I want you to do right now. And you're saying, I need a little bit more instruction. I need exact note for note way to play this. I need to be taught where to put my fingers. Your ear will actually tell you where to put your fingers, okay? And I say that because we're using this drone string, this constant D string. When you play something that doesn't fit, all of a sudden your ear's gonna go, whoa, I don't know about that choice. Uh, let me give you an example of how that would sound. I'll just play a series of notes and then you'll, I think you'll hear which one quote unquote doesn't belong, at least in this musical setting. Here's how that would sound. Right, there's these notes that kind of sound uncomfortable. Now I'm doing this with a harmonic minor scale. You can do this with a major scale, you can do this with anything. Uh, a major scale would sound something like this. Can do this with any scale you want, playing two strings against one another. One being open, uh, operating as the drone, or the, the think of it as the bass, and then that upstroke will be your melody note. This is a fantastic launching pad to start exploring how to play a guitar solo without having anybody around. You know, one of the things that I think is, is gets in our way when it comes to, well, trying anything new, but specifically guitar solos is intimidation. You know, I've heard it countless times from various players of all levels. I'm more of a rhythm player. I don't really play guitar solos. That's not true. Or, or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you say, I, I prefer playing rhythm. Okay, that's fine. But saying that you can't play guitar solos is just quite simply not true. Because if you do this, you're playing a guitar solo. It's solo guitar. You're supporting yourself. You're playing a melody, right? And I think so often this intimidation gets in the way. Oh, I, I can't do that. So you never try because this is something that, oh, I need to be better before I try it. Or, oh, I need more skills before I try it. No, try it right now. The skills will come. It's this weird cart before the horse thing where we don't try something that we want to do because we feel like we need to get better. But the only way to get better is to doing that thing that we don't know how to do. Is, I think I said that right. <laughs> but it's kind of, like I said, a cart before the horse situation. Whereas if you just started trying new things, I think these skills and the progress would follow. So I guess, suffice it to say, or rather in summation, try new things. It will help you progress. It will help you get better. And you'll discover that you can do a lot instead of putting that nice, hard, closed door of can't in front of you. Open that door. You can do a lot more than I think you realize. We're gonna hop in the Acoustic Tuesday private jet. Make sure your seat belts are fastened and your tray tables are in the upright position. We're headed to the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado, to take a look at Paul Longshore's guitar signal. Here's what he's got from left to right. A 2013 Taylor 522E, a 2012 Martin D16 RGT, a 1959 Gibson LG2, a 2016 Gibson J45. He says, when you did your favorite Taylors, I believe the 522 was on the list, kind of. 
and also the Martin, I believe major list as well. Too bad you can't keep all of them. Some nice ones got away. However, I'm still on the collector journey. Who knows what is next? Thanks, Tony, for your positive outlook and consistent encouragement. Thank you, Paul, for sharing your guitar signal with us. That is a healthy, healthy lineup of some substantial instruments. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And if you're sitting at home thinking, I want to be like Paul. Paul's a cool guy. I'm a cool guy or gal, and I want to be like Paul. I want to submit my guitar signal to get it featured on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Well, I want you to do that very thing. Everything you need is in the, in the description below. All the links you need. Get a link, uh, get a link. <laughs> Click the link to grab yourself a guitar signal t-shirt. <laughs> and then right beneath that, there's a link to submit your picture where you're wearing your guitar signal t-shirt amongst all of your guitars. You can describe them, tell stories if you want, and I'll share it on an upcoming episode of the Acoustic Tuesday show. Okay, on to your second dose of acoustic news you can use. And this first story is actually a twofer. One that involves you and one that involves me. You'll see what I mean. I've mentioned Andrea Stolpe on the show before. She is a fantastic songwriter, but I think even more so, She's a fantastic resource for songwriters, okay? She has, I don't know if you call it a methodology, but she has an approach to songwriting that really helps facilitate action, okay? I think a lot of times we get stuck, we get, we get in our own way, we have writer's block, this, that, or the other thing. She finds ways to just conquer that stuff, and she's very, very very good at it. If you're following her on Instagram, she posts tips and tricks, and it's just invaluable information. Well, I was just uh, made aware that she's doing a three-day virtual songwriting retreat. So you can attend this songwriting retreat from the comfort of your own home. Now, I have no affiliation with Andrea. I just think she's a great resource, and I want you to know about her. So let me go ahead and read a couple of, uh, a couple of little tidbits here, and then we'll watch a quick video where she's describing this retreat. Uh, it says, join Andrea Stolpe for a three-day virtual songwriting retreat from the comfort of your own home. The retreat will set the foundations to make a career from your music. You'll get access to a renowned methodology to write head-turning songs that'll captivate your audience time and time again. And you'll emerge with a set of tools that will help you craft songs that are more meaningful, genuine, and unforgettable. The same methodology and tools that secured Andrea's title of a multi-platinum songwriter you decide your level of participation at the retreat. The VIP admission includes the lyric writing workshop, a melody and groove workshop, a music industry workshop, a Q&A with Andrea, lifetime access to the AS alumni community, curated co-writing sessions with on-the-spot music critiques, live singer-songwriter showcase, and a songwriting masterclass. Now this is happening. Let me get the dates for you because uh, I don't want you to miss it. Go ahead and visit her website, andreastolpe.com, A-N-D-R-E-A-S-T-O-L-P-E.com. This is happening July 14th through the 16th. You can learn all about it there. And I would love to attend, and this is where the twofer thing happens here. Remember I said this involves me as well. I would love to attend because this is something I would always wanted to do, uh, but I won't be able to because... Whitney, my wife, is due on July 16th. We're gonna have, we're expecting another baby boy. Uh, so yeah, another boy is joining the, the Polo Castro clan. That makes three. We got Aiden, we got Emerson, and then we have this new fella who I've been calling Graybert as a space filler, Graybert. We're not gonna name him Graybert, but I've been calling him Graybert. Anyways, I wish to attend this songwriting clinic, but I won't be able to because I'll be uh, busy with other things. But I hope you can. So again, go to Andrea's website to learn more about it. It seems incredibly valuable, especially, I know there's a lot of songwriters that watch the show, and uh, I just think it'd be a great, I think it'd be a really great asset to your tool chest to, to learn songwriting from a different perspective. And I know there's that common thing where it's like, can you really learn songwriting? It's different for everybody. And yeah, it's different for everybody, much like everybody's guitar journey is different. But here we gather every Tuesday and learn from one another. And I think that's what this is really all about. Uh, we all have our different perspectives. We all have our different approaches, but we can gather tips and tricks from everybody to bolster our own unique approach. I'm Andrea Stolpe and my passion is helping artists and writers write, record, and release their best songs. Over the course of several years, and having had the chance to write with a lot of writers and artists, including Juliana Huff, Faith Hill, Jimmy Wayne, John Paul White, and many others, 
I started to see that we all struggle with a lot of the same things. Our approaches to songwriting were sometimes different, or even the genre that we were truly comfortable writing in was different. We all wanted the same thing. We all just wanted to engage with the heartstrings of the listener and make them feel something they would remember. For two decades, I've moved through the process of writing and recording my own music and that of others. And what I've learned is that we all have similar challenges, no matter whether we're very experienced or just starting out. And there are tools to meet all of those challenges head on. Many times we come to songwriting feeling like we have a major lack in an area. Maybe our voice isn't what we would hope it would be. Maybe we lack some vocabulary when it comes to groove or chords. And maybe our lyric messages just aren't as clean and clear as we would like them to be. But many times a more effective way to finish songs that we believe in is to lean on the things that we do well in our writing rather than focus on bulking up or hiding the things that we don't do as naturally. Every writer and artist who comes to our retreat goes home with more tools than they ever imagined they could access to write higher quality, longer lasting songs. Everybody leaves with a strong community on which they lean for years to come after the retreat. And most importantly, everybody leaves with a stronger sense of why they're making music in the first place and the impact their music leaves on the world around them. Come to a retreat, find out how far you can push your potential for writing the songs you always dreamed. Just click the button below to apply. Anyways, I think that wraps up our Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But you might be wondering, Tone, what jersey are you wearing? What, what is happening? Uh, this is a Macon Mayhem jersey. And I believe they are from the Southern Professional Hockey League. This was sent to me by an Acoustic Tuesday viewer, a TAC family member. In fact, I'm going to read the letter that he wrote. He says, Dear Tony. So first, let me say thank you, Frank, for this. This made my day. He says, Dear Tony, your acoustic challenge is wonderful. I joined April 2020. Since I am a lifetime member, I stay completely amazed at the value of TAC. I wanted to do something for you after two years of participation in TAC encloses a t-shirt and a hockey jersey. And the, and the, and the uh, I almost called this the jersey. The t-shirt is equally cool. It's just a hockey t-shirt and it says goon. And it's awesome. It's got a skull on it. It's got all the things I like. Goon, skull, hockey. It's just missing a guitar. But you know what? Three out of four ain't bad. That's 75%. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much, Frank, for the, uh, the t-shirt and the jersey. Uh, he goes on to say, I'm from Macon, Georgia, home of the Allman Brothers Band. Their museum called The Big House is located in Macon. Uh, Mer... Merci, Merci, Mercer, Mercer University. I'm, here I am trying to go to France. Uh, Mercer University has rebuilt and spent $7 million on Capricorn Studios, where Leonard Skinner, Allman Brothers Band, Atlanta Rhythm Section, Marshall Tucker, Otis Redding, James Brown, and Little Richard recorded their music. Just a suggestion for TAC. Toma Fujita, a Berkeley guitar teacher of John Mayer, has finger exercises to shred. These are very interesting. Perhaps you could do a similar module training. Indeed. Uh, oh, well, hope you like these, and thanks a million for what you're doing. Thanks, love, and peace, Frank Jones. Um, man, thanks so much, Frank. It's great to hear from you. It's always good to get stuff in the mailbox here. And, uh, yeah, when I opened this, I was like, this is awesome. I love these uh, little-known hockey teams with killer logos. I mean, look at this. It's a little dude, like a troll man. Maybe a Viking guy? I don't know. It reminded me of my first hockey team. I played high school hockey in Schaumburg, Illinois uh, for the Schaumburg Saxons. It was like a little Saxon Viking guy with a sword. This reminded me of it. Uh, later on, I went and played high school hockey in Minnesota at Mankato West for all of you southern Minnesota folks. Uh, yeah, I actually graduated high school in Mankato. Um, Anyways, I don't know. That was a weird detour. I guess on that note, on those glo globe-trotting notes. 
We'll go ahead and wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today, but first let's take a sneak peek into next week, and next week we're going to dig into my guitar arsenal yet again. For those of you wanting to check out these slope shoulder dreadnoughts of my guitar arsenal, I've got two of them for you. They are dandies. You're going to love them. And that's the topic of next week's episode of the Acoustic Tuesday show. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Before I let you go, please do remember this. Your guitar success, however you define it for yourself, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please take the time to invest in your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. Thank you for your questions. Thanks for hanging with me. This has been fun. It's like a kitchen table hang. We just got our coffees and we're just chatting. Uh, thank you so much for watching the Acoustic Tuesday show and I'll see you next Tuesday on Acoustic Tuesday. Cheers to you, Guitar Geeks Unite.